The strange but true story featured on this podcast contains details some people may find unsettling. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Chaya Samuel and things are about to get weird. Hi friends, a very warm welcome back to another episode of Things Are About To Get Weird. This is episode 35, which I feel like I've blinked and we've arrived at, but I'm over the moon that you're along for the ride with me. So our last few episodes have all been very true crime focused, which I know is something we all find fascinating, but I wanted to switch things up a bit today. Last week, over on our Patreon page, I put up a little poll to decide this episode's topic, or technically, topics plural. And as you can tell from the title, the winning option was quicksand and the Bermuda Triangle. And therefore, I invite you to take a trip down memory lane with me today. When we were kids, I'm sure we all had various fears that, looking back, were a little bit ridiculous. As I mentioned back in episode 5, spontaneous human combustion was a big one for me, and for a while I was convinced that any one of us could go up in smoke at any moment, but I also had a phase of being genuinely quite concerned that something else would be the source of my demise, and that thing was quicksand despite growing up in Cheshire and Greater Manchester where there isn't even a single proper beach, let alone a quicksand problem, when I was about seven, I was sure that any source of sand had the potential to swallow me up somehow. But thankfully, this phobia didn't last. However, when I was 11 and went on holiday to Florida, I suddenly became very concerned about our flight path and whether we would be traversing through the skies over the Bermuda Triangle. Thankfully, the journey took place without incident, and by the time our holiday was coming to an end, I was far more concerned about alligators than the Bermuda Triangle. Nonetheless, as I was thinking back to both of these 90s kid hot topics, I did become curious about them all over again. Were we at all justified in our supposedly irrational fears? Do quicksand incidents really happen the way we've seen them portrayed in countless movies and cartoons? How many Bermuda Triangle disappearances have there actually been? After doing more reading about both of them than I ever thought I would do at the age of 32, here is what I discovered. Let's begin with quicksand, which is arguably the more straightforward of the two topics to get to the bottom of. I truly can't believe I've just said that out loud. I did not mean for that to be a pun. Starting with a look into what it actually is, because I think as a kid, I assumed it was normal sand that just happened to be on top of some kind of force field that would drag any object that got into the sand down towards it. Spoiler alert, I was wrong. According to a great National Geographic article, quicksand is actually a mixture of fine sand, clay and salt water, which, when you think about it, makes a lot more sense. From ground level, an area of quicksand could look pretty solid, and it would be relatively easy to step on some without realising what it was. And it's at this point in the films where a person would quickly be sucked down into the mixture, fighting in vain to try and pull themselves back out, before being totally consumed by the quicksand, never to be seen again. But in reality, it seems that events would transpire quite differently. 
a scientist from the University of Amsterdam named Daniel Bonn decided to run an experiment after spotting warning signs about quicksand pits whilst in Iran. He scooped up a small sample of the quicksand to take back to his lab, and there was a specific theory he was keen to test. Thankfully, instead of using humans in his experiment, he used something which would have the same density as humans, aluminium beads. If you're listening from across the pond, that's aluminum to you. Anyway, the results of this test were very interesting indeed. When the beads were placed on top of the quicksand sample, they did sink at first, but only about halfway. He even tried to replicate the conditions that would be present if it was a human, meaning he shook the sample to mimic a panicking, frantic person. This result of the beads only sinking halfway happened because, as it turns out, quicksand is denser than the human body, so getting pulled down to the bottom isn't a possibility. But this wasn't even the most surprising part of the outcome. Not only did the beads not fully sink, but after a while, when the displaced sand and water began to mix together again, they actually started to float back up to the surface. So, with this scientific context in mind, that would surely suggest that no one has ever actually died after falling into quicksand, right? Unfortunately, it's not quite as clear-cut as that, because although the movie depictions of quicksand deaths are very much dramatised, if you add in additional factors to an encounter of this kind, the outcome does have the potential to be fatal. Let me explain with a couple of examples. Back in 2012, a 33-year-old woman from Lytham St Anne's in the northern English county of Lancashire was on holiday in Antigua. Nicola Raybone, who was a mother of two, had flown to the Caribbean destination for her dad's wedding, and within just a few hours of arriving, she had headed down to the beach to kickstart her trip. It appears that Nicola must have ventured to a more secluded part of the beach, and that is where tragedy struck. Leaving her sandals and phone at the hotel bar, Nicola wandered along the shore before accidentally stepping into an area of quicksand. Investigators later determined that she must have become stuck in the sand, and although she spent time crying out for help... As night swiftly fell, she sadly could not be reached in time to be saved. The incoming tide had washed over her, and Nicola simply wasn't able to escape the clutches of the quicksand. Her cause of death was confirmed to have been accidental drowning. And honestly, the more you think about it, the more truly horrific it becomes. I can't even begin to imagine how terrified Nicola was, and what a traumatic end to her life she had to endure. And what's even more awful is that her story isn't unique. In 2015, a Texas man named Jose Ray Escobedo went missing after a solo swim in the San Antonio River. It wasn't unusual for him to go out swimming alone, but after he didn't return from his trip, a search party was organised to look for the 50-year-old. And in a terrible reflection of Nicola's story, his body was later discovered partially stuck in quicksand, and it was determined that he too had tragically drowned after becoming trapped. However, 
All of that said, I think it's very important to point out that deaths associated with quicksand are incredibly rare. And not only am I here to reassure you that they're rare, but thanks to a fascinating article I found from the BBC, I also discovered some apparently life-saving tips a person could use in the extremely unlikely event of becoming stuck in wet quicksand. The piece notes the importance of staying calm and reads, quote, you need to wiggle your leg a little in order to introduce water to the sand around your feet to liquefy the sand again. Then it goes on to say, lean back and spread out to spread your weight more evenly and wait until you float back up to the surface. Now, obviously, this advice would not be useful when we're talking about something called the quicksand effect, which is related to things like, for example, falling into a large grain store. In that instance, outside help would be needed. But that is a whole separate terrifying topic and I want to round out the quicksand section on a more positive note. By the way, I'm sure I don't need to give this disclaimer, but please do avoid quicksand at all costs. Just to be extra clear. If I had to rank my own personal fear of dying after falling into quicksand on a scale where one was completely irrational, nothing to worry about, and ten was I'm never leaving my house again, I would put it at a two. It can't be 100% irrational to be scared of quicksand because of the stories like the ones I mentioned before, but with how rare of a cause of death it actually is, I feel that young Chayaz definitely didn't need to be as perturbed by the possibility of encountering it as she was. But can the same be said for the Bermuda Triangle? Let's find out. So the first thing that might surprise you about the Bermuda Triangle is that there are actually reports of strange goings on there dating back hundreds of years. If you're not familiar with it, the Bermuda Triangle is a triangular section of the western part of the North Atlantic Ocean, with one point being in Bermuda, one in Puerto Rico, and one in Florida. And it's said that over the years, numerous ships, planes, and the people on board them have mysteriously disappeared when travelling through this notorious expanse of ocean. For reference, the area is around 500,000 square miles, or just under 1.3 million square kilometres, so it's absolutely huge. And that's when we're looking at the numbers on the lower end of the scale, as some writers have estimated it's even larger. Now, it seems that even before the term Bermuda Triangle was coined and people started speaking of these specific disappearances, the area had already gained a reputation for being frightening and treacherous. And people even believe Shakespeare took inspiration from a Bermuda Triangle shipwreck when penning The Tempest, though lots of sources talk about the many ship sinkings and plane crashes that have happened within the area. The actual numbers sometimes feel harder to find, but amongst others, both Britannica.com and a New York Times article cite that at least 50 ships and 20 planes have disappeared into the triangle over the past 500 years, with most leaving no wreckages or traces of survivors. 
One of the most famous examples is that of Flight 19, which was actually the group name of the five different TBM Avenger torpedo bomber planes, which departed from Florida on the 5th of December 1945, which is exactly 45 years to the day before I was born. They were meant to be heading off on a two-hour training mission. However, by 4pm that afternoon, all radio contact with the planes had been lost. The aircraft were flying over part of the Bermuda Triangle when communications went dark, and after this, it is truly as though they vanished. Even the official report into the incident said it was, quote, as if they had flown to Mars, and no trace of the planes or the 14 men on board were ever seen again. And this story only gets stranger. Later that night, one of the flying boats that had been sent out to try and figure out where the missing planes could be also disappeared. Although there were reports of an explosion happening around the time the flying boat went missing, once again, there was no sign of it left behind. All 13 crew members are presumed to have perished. Then there's the disappearance of the USS Cyclops, which is actually the event that represents the biggest loss of life in the history of the US Navy, in a single incident at least. The Cyclops was one of the biggest fuel ships in the Navy's fleet, and was carrying over 10,000 tonnes of manganese ore when it set off from Brazil to Baltimore in March of 1918. The vessel's route ran through the Bermuda Triangle, and at first, everything seemed to be completely fine. The conditions were good, and things seemed to be in top shape as far as the ship itself was concerned. But after sending their first communication message back to base, everything fell silent. Somewhere within the Triangle, the Cyclops was lost, and it's entirely unknown what happened. All 309 crew members on board disappeared along with their ship, and despite extensive searches, not a clue as to what happened was ever discovered. No distress signal was ever sent, and although lots of rational theories have been presented over the years, none of them have ever resulted in a proven explanation as to what took place. So whilst these cases are not only bizarre, but very well documented and provable, in the sense that all of them definitely did vanish within the Bermuda Triangle, the same can't be said for some of the other most notable examples, such as the one which many may automatically associate with the Bermuda Triangle, the Mary Celeste. Not to be confused with the fictional Marie Celeste from the Arthur Conan Doyle story. If you haven't heard the very weird tale of the Mary Celeste before, here's the heavily abridged version. On the 4th of December, 1872, this merchant ship, which had been carrying the captain, his wife and daughter, and seven crew members, was found abandoned off the coast of Portugal. It had set sail from New York the month before, and was ultimately heading for Italy. But here's what's really odd. Whilst from the outside, the Mary Celeste looked a little worse for wear, other parts were completely undisturbed. The personal belongings of the crew were all still in place, and the cargo was untouched. But the passengers were nowhere to be seen. It really was like a true ghost ship, and I could probably do a whole episode about it. 
But in actual fact, an episode about the Bermuda Triangle is probably not the time to cover it. Because, despite people tending to associate it with this unexplained, mysterious expanse of ocean, the Mary Celeste was discovered in a totally different section of the vast Atlantic. I think it's a case of a lazy connection being made, and then the incorrect information becoming part of the legend of it all, but the notion that the Mary Celeste had any connection to the Bermuda Triangle is incredibly unlikely. So if we therefore take it that whilst yes, some of the stories tied to this eerie section of the sea are either hard to prove or have nothing to do with it, we can't deny that there have been some very solid, backed-up examples throughout history too. And as with all intriguing enigmas, plenty of theories have emerged to try and explain what may have taken place in these cases. So let's see which are the most compelling. I think I'd be doing you all a disservice, given that this podcast is called Things Are About To Get Weird, if I didn't begin with the stranger side of the suggested explanations. Over the centuries, there have been numerous theories put forward which are linked with the otherworldly. Mentions of magic and vortexes, and unexplained forces which may drag ships under the water or planes out of the sky are understandably rife amongst Bermuda Triangle enthusiasts. The same can also be said for the Lost City of Atlantis theory. Some believe that crystals from the sunken city may be sending out vibrations that interfere with boat and plane mechanics, causing malfunctions which result in them either sinking or crashing. But from all that I've read, the most enduring theory amongst believers all centres around, drumroll please, UFOs. In many ways, it's understandable why this notion that the various missing aeroplanes and boats were in fact beamed up by alien spacecrafts has become popular. The fact that the radio communications would end so abruptly, and that not a single trace of debris or human remains were discovered upon searching, does make you question whether some kind of paranormal intervention took place. I also imagine comments like the one made by the US Navy after the Avenger torpedo bombers vanished, about it seeming like the planes had flown to Mars, only added fuel to the fire. One element of this idea that crops up over and over again is the notion that alien life forces may be abducting these ships and aircraft in order to steal their technology, and of course the people on board. But could the Bermuda Triangle really be a meeting place between our planet and other realms? Like many other UFO-based theories, whilst the idea is definitely intriguing, there's very little actual evidence to back it up. Which leads us on to the possible explanations which are more rooted in established scientific concepts, and ideas linked to the environment. Unsurprisingly, the first theory you're likely to come across in this arena relates to the weather. Experts often talk about the conditions in the Gulf Stream, which is a huge current that runs through the western North Atlantic. It's known to cause sudden and violent changes in weather, which would make sense given that so many of the ships and planes that have disappeared within the Triangle reported no adverse conditions when they set out. Could it be that they were all caught up in freak weather episodes, which were too catastrophic for their vessels to survive? I guess it's possible, but given how many other boats and planes pass through the area, 
it feels like any storms would have been reported in their communications. Another idea that's frequently discussed in connection with the weather is that so-called rogue waves could be responsible for at least some of the disappearances. Apparently, researchers at the University of Southampton have suggested that the area of ocean within the Bermuda Triangle could be prone to these tsunami-like 100-feet waves during storms. They would absolutely have the capability of destroying a ship, but naturally, this wouldn't really help at all in explaining the vanishing planes. But never fear, because like in so many unsolved mystery stories, there are always further theories waiting in the wings to pick up where the others leave off. One that I find particularly fascinating is all to do with magnetic forces, and the suggestion that the Bermuda Triangle is one of only two locations on our planet where, instead of a compass pointing to magnetic north, it will point to true north instead. Scientists have pondered whether this could be the cause of certain equipment malfunctions on board some boats and planes, meaning they veer off course, possibly into dangerous conditions. Then there was the methane bubble theory. After a group of researchers from the Arctic University of Norway, which sounds incredibly cool by the way, discovered that there were some enormous ocean floor craters off the coast of Norway, possibly caused by the explosion of methane deposits. Bermuda Triangle theorists started to wonder whether these underwater explosions could be the answer to the mysteries in the western North Atlantic too. However, in 2016, the scientists clarified that they were not, in fact, making any links to the Bermuda Triangle. And so, excitement around this idea quickly dissipated. And in the spirit of bursting the bubble, no pun intended once again, sorry about that, there's one pretty vital piece of information that has continued to be presented right at the end of almost every source available on the Bermuda Triangle incidents. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which is a US government agency set up in 1970, explains, quote, There is no evidence that the mysterious disappearances occur with any greater frequency in the Bermuda Triangle than in any other large, well-travelled area of the ocean. Because the truth is that this area of the Atlantic is really quite busy. If you look at it from a percentage perspective... Given the number of flights and boat journeys that take place across the triangle on a daily basis, and you think about the fact that, say, 70 have gone missing in the last 500 years, it starts to sound a little less wild. Especially when you consider that the majority of these incidents happened prior to much of the modern tracking technology and many of the safety advances that we have today. Maybe the reality of the situation is that the triangle is more unlucky than cursed, simply because of the possibly unfair reputation it's gained. When a place becomes embedded in pop culture the way the Bermuda Triangle has, with its mentions in countless books, films, TV shows, podcasts, the intrigue around it will naturally build and build. But despite all the attention it's received for hundreds of years we've never come any closer to a true, proven explanation as to what possibly occurs there. And so, with all of this taken into account, 
Where would I place the Bermuda Triangle on the same scale I used for quicksand? Despite the fact that I am a believer in the paranormal, throughout all of my research, I wasn't particularly drawn to the more supernatural theories. Perhaps if it wasn't for the statistical evidence which shows how un-unusual the levels of disappearances are in the triangle, I might be more convinced. But what I'm actually more reeled in by is the possibility of some kind of scientific cause being present that perhaps we don't fully understand yet. Maybe there's even an explanation which could also apply to other ocean disappearances outside of the triangle, but it's just waiting to be discovered. I feel that the ocean craters the team in Norway discovered was the closest thing to this to date. And who knows, the next theory that emerges could be the one to solve the mystery once and for all. So for all of these reasons, I'm going to place the Bermuda Triangle just above quicksand at number three on the scale. If you consider that one is nothing to worry about, and ten is I'd never go in a million years. And here's my reasoning. Having flown over this area on numerous occasions... I can confidently say that it didn't end up bothering me one bit from the air. But there's a little part of me that knows if I was on a ship within the triangle, I would be a bit more nervous. I know it's not rational, but I can't deny that I would be a bit on edge. So for that reason, it had to be a three. There's also every chance that my unwillingness to downgrade it to a two is because of the concern I felt as a child prior to that Florida trip. I can still remember thinking, oh no, I don't think I can actually do this. And obviously it was fine. I was just a very dramatic child and I'm still dramatic, let's be honest. So similarly to spontaneous human combustion, whilst the jury is still out on the Bermuda Triangle, I think we can safely say most of us will never have to worry about it. And with quicksand, whilst you should obviously avoid it at all costs, the chances of it being the cause of the average person's demise are very low. Now, if I could just get over my irrational fear of daddy long legs and their disgusting crane fly ways, that would be a true weight off my mind. I really hope you've enjoyed today's instalment of the podcast. I remember having lots of interesting conversations with you all after I posted the spontaneous human combustion episode, so fingers crossed you found this one as intriguing too. I can't wait to hear what you all think about both of today's topics. Were either of them a concern for you as a kid, or even as an adult? In a way, what I'm even more interested to know is whether there was anything else you had this same kind of worry about when you were younger. I guess the only other thing I could think of is the Millennium Bug. We were all a bit weirded out by that for a while, weren't we? But as far as I know, nothing ever came of it. I so clearly remember it being the Millennium New Year's Eve. And I was so excited to go and have a look at the digital clock on my dad's car to see whether it was able to handle the switch from displaying the date in 1999 to 2000. It's so funny when we look back. And also a pretty good indication of what a strange nine-year-old I was. Anyway, as always, please do leave me a comment on social media or pop me an email. I will have all of our usual contact information to share with you, but not before our regular outro feature. Here is Weird Media. Today's weird media recommendation is really pushing the boundaries of what you'd consider media because it's actually an online shop. 
I guess websites are technically media, but let's not get too hung up on that because what I have to tell you about is really very cool. So a couple of weekends ago, I went away to North Wales with my dad and my sister and we visited our wonderful family friend, Jan, who owns the Etsy shop Wicked Vintage. And if you are anything like me and can't get enough of the spookier things in life, you have to check her page out. I think in one of our earlier episodes, I might have mentioned some of the items I own from Wicked Vintage. For example, the Victorian medicine bottles my dad bought me as a gift a few years ago. But that's just one example of the kinds of antiques Jan sources for the shop. She specialises in things like rare occult books, crystal balls, beautiful witchy pieces that have amazing history to them, basically everything fascinatingly spooky. We were lucky enough to see the room in Jan's stunning home where some of her own collection is displayed. And I can't tell you how awesome of an experience it was. She's got the most incredible eye for finding antique treasures. And I find myself becoming obsessed with every new piece she adds to her shop. In particular, some of the books on the site are incredible. They're so unusual and a few are seriously old and very precious. I sometimes wonder how many hours I've spent browsing the listings over the years. I'll be sure to put a photo on the Things Are About To Get Weird Instagram page of the medicine bottles actually. If anyone else has a strange fascination with Victorian medical practices like me, which I guess is unlikely but possible, I hope you'll find it interesting. I'll also leave the Wicked Vintage Etsy shop linked in the show notes. Jan has no idea I'm featuring it in Weird Media today, by the way. As always, this is a true and honest recommendation of something I love, and I hope you find the shop as enthralling as I do. Rightio, there are quite a few sources to shout out today. I always end up reading a ridiculous number of articles and documents for stories like these, so here we go. For quicksand, we had a 2005 piece from National Geographic by Nicholas Bacalar, a BBC Future article from 2016 by Claudia Hammond, which was great, a Britannica.com piece entitled How Deadly is Quicksand, a 2012 article from The Telegraph about the tragic death of Nicola Raybone, and a Newsweek piece by Robin White from 2022, which referenced Jose Escobedo's death too. For the Bermuda Triangle, we had another Britannica.com piece from 2023, actually, all about the area, an article on the NOAA's website, oceanservices.noaa.gov, again from earlier this year, the piece I mentioned from the New York Times by Kim Dismont Robinson from 2006, a brilliant piece from 2021 on marineinsight.com about some of the most famous triangle incidents, and finally a 2022 article from The Mirror by Sarah Leonard. Okay, there are many, many ways you can get in touch to tell me what you thought of this episode. You can find us on Facebook, both through the main podcast page and also the private discussion group too. Just search Things Are About To Get Weird on there and you can request to join the private group. On Instagram, our handle is at Things Get Weird Podcast and on Twitter, it's at About To Get Weird. You can also pop me an email too. The address is thingsgetweirdpodcast at gmail.com. 
As I mentioned at the start of this episode, we also have a Patreon page too. There are no set tiers or anything like that. The monthly pledge amount is blank. So if you do want to support the podcast in this way, the link is always in the show notes. It really does help me to keep producing our episodes. And you all know how much I appreciate your support. A massive thank you for being here today. And as always, if you've enjoyed the podcast, a quick rating or review wherever you listen would be amazing. I hope you all have a great couple of weeks and I can't wait to be back with another story for you very soon. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and keep it weird, but the good kind of weird. Thank you.